1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed professional counselor Debbie Tudor about the irrational beliefs that we learn from a narcissistic parent and how we hold on to them subconsciously. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today with us, we have Debbie Tudor. How are you?
0: I'm great, Brandon. How are you?
1: I am good. And for those of you that want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes that air on Mondays, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. And at the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, there's all these instructions. And please follow those instructions. Send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form on that page, and we will go from there. And people that might be sending in their stories might have come from narcissistic parents. They might have been the scapegoat. And today, Debbie is going to be talking with us about these things. And for those of you that don't know Debbie from our previous episodes, Debbie is a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, and certified narcissist abuse recovery coach. She is worldwide and you can email her at info at rockwall-counseling.com and her website is rockwall-counseling.com. Debbie is the author of the book, It's Not You, It's Them, 30 Days of Hope and Help for the Adult Child of a Narcissistic Parent. and that is a workbook. And she also has these amazing cards. They are one-minute sessions. They're a card deck of affirmations that she designed to rebuild self-worth after abuse from a narcissist. And Debbie has been on our show a few times already. And we've discussed the five questions that you get from your clients. We did an episode on on that. We've done stuff on scapegoating. You have a brilliant method. uh, That's an alternative of Gray Rock, which is called protected contact. We've discussed dual diagnosis with you on the show. You've been a great friend to our show and have supported us from the beginning. So it is always lovely to have you here uh, with us because I've sent many people to you, for counseling, and they rave about you. So again, I just really want to thank you uh, for being here. And today we're going to talk about scapegoats, how to talk when you talk to yourself. And we're going to also be touching on mothers, uh, myths, truths, the irrational beliefs of the narcissistic parent that we've learned. And we hold on to these subconsciously. So Debbie, I guess let's break into this kind of method that you use, you use these things within your sessions for scapegoats, you use CBT tools. And so I guess the general outline here would be, I guess, question one, why we believe what our parent says is the gospel when we are children.
0: Well, what happens is um, that, and by the way, I'd like everybody to grab a pen and paper because when we finish the talk, I'm going to, Give you a walkthrough on how to do a great cognitive exercise about these mother mistruths and father faith. So you might be ready for that. But I want to start with it's not an exaggeration, Brenda, to say that self talk shapes our lives into what they are today. And that's a very scientific, very uncomplicated fact. Um, our brain has something called a reticular. Activator. And what that does is it's a little, about as long as a pencil, it's a little land above the spinal cord, it goes out to seek what we think about and make it come true. It brings to light what we're looking for, and it filters out the rest. So this is why these subconscious beliefs, these negative things that our parents tell us are so, so important and critical to uncover. And basically, it's the reticular activator's job is to create our life's reality, to seek out what we think about, make it happen. And if you've heard of the secret, it's based on that part of the brain, um, more in a philosophical setting. But basically, that's how it works, the reticular activator. Another thing you need to know before we get into the parents is the reticular activator does not discriminate between positive and negative. So if you have a negative thought, like I'm going to lose weight, you're going to focus on weight. If you have a positive thought, like self-love, then those are positive words, and it looks for ways to bring that into being. So it filters out negative words um, when you set your affirmations. This is why it's really critical to only read professionally written affirmations, because you can do more harm than good. But um, that's why in my book, the affirmations are in every exercise. There's an affirmation you must do, looking in the mirror. And that's why I wrote the card deck, uh, the one-minute session. So what happens is our reticular activator seeks out what our parents say when we're children. Because as children, our very survival depends on our parents. We could die. If we don't listen to them and we look up to them as God, um, their word is gospel to our little minds and teaches us what we need to know to survive in the world. And when the lesson is don't touch a hot stove, this is valuable and an appropriate lesson to learn from our parents. But when the message from the narcissist is you're such a problem, you're too sensitive, you upset me by being who you are, then it's a very different story. This is why what we say to our children is so important. I remember 25 years ago when I was first doing counseling and I counseled children, um, I had parents come in and say, our child is such a mess. She just has this terrible temper. And I said, "What do you suppose that is? And they said, well, she has red hair. And that label, that negative mother mistruth or father fake belief, went deep into that child, and we will always live up to what our parents say about us and their children. So those mistaken beliefs are deep in our brains, and they cause our behavior many, many times. So, by the way, we need to be very careful about how we label our children. Um, They root into the subconscious, and they affect us the rest of our lives, unless they go into therapy, make them conscious and examine and refuse them. So a subconscious irrational belief is staying there, poisoning our existence underneath our awareness. And other ways that this happened, and it may have happened to a lot of our listeners, is that families will compare and contrast children with stories that focus the reticular activator on the negative, like saying, well, she's not good at math, but boy, her brother, he can just do anything. Or, he's trouble. He's just always been troubled. Um, she's just sick. You know, she's just always sick and in bed. And, or, he's defiant. So, when these labels are applied, it becomes a subconscious, irrational belief in our brain. And our particular activator goes about ways to prove that it's true. So, if you've been told by your narcissistic parent, well... You you can't really do that. You're never going to be a success. Then that that causes that. And we subconsciously seek out ways to prove that that's true. So it's really, I guess you'd call it self fulfilling prophecy that leads to these irrational beliefs because we will behave in a way to prove it right somehow. Now, to put that into um, cases, I can share with you with permission, with Names change. Um, My case, my patient, Dara, who is the scapegoat, which, by the way, all of my patients are the scapegoat because narcissists and golden children don't get it. They don't think they need it. They think they're perfect. So Dara, the scapegoat, had a brother named Mike. And Dara, when she was a little girl, would go, want to be part of the neighborhood kids. And so her older brother had a habit of telling filthy jokes in the group of children. And one day, Dara's mother walked by and heard him doing this. Rather than take him aside and talk to him about you know, context and accountability, she took Dara aside and shamed her for standing there. So what that taught Sarah, the irrational belief that is hot there is: it's your job to accommodate others when they behave inappropriately, which left Sarah open to abuse the rest of her life. And that mistaken belief kept her sacrificing herself to keep others comfortable. And the main message I hear from people over and over and over is: if someone misbehaving behaving or unhappy, it must be my fault. And that irrational belief handicaps the scapegoat so much. I have another client who has said, I have to tell my son what to do when he's upset, my grown adult son, what to do, because I'm not a good dad if I don't. And when we dug in deep into that, it came from when his alcoholic father would get drunk, he would feel like, I have to. I have to help dad, I have to bring him coffee, and I have to listen to him complain. And so he became a codependent victor because of the irrational belief that he was responsible for other people's feelings and giving them advice was a good thing to do. Another client named Mary, um very creative, talented artist, uh, had grew up in horrific abuse, and when she would do something her parents disapproved of, they would destroy her artwork. So to this day, 20 years later, I could not get her to create art, which would be so healing for her, until we uncovered this irrational belief that I'm not safe. It's not safe to create art. Something will take it away from me. And once we uncovered that irrational belief, Using positive behavioral therapy exercises and I'm going to give you guys one at the end of this talk once we uncover that it's better free and she argued with the irrational thought and has now creating and finding great healing in her creativity
1: another day is here and you're ready for it, what to wear, check breakfast, lunch and dinner, check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help is would would an irrational belief to a golden child be this positive reinforcement that they could never live up to and then the shame cycle that would endure because they couldn't live up to that expectation
0: No, that would be more for the scapegoat. A golden child is told, no matter what you do, you're wonderful. You can tell filthy stories in front of your innocent little sister. You can do whatever you want, and you're just going to be wonderful. We will find an excuse for you. And so a golden child becomes a narcissist in the making. And when they grow up, they treat people terribly because they've been told that they can't do anything wrong. So it's a complete lack of conscience, and, and it is an entitlement that they feel. It's they like feel the, the irrational
1: belief of you are always being told that you are special. Therefore, they yes. think that they're special. Therefore, they should be treated in a different way than everyone else.
0: Yes, and being special, they are above any rule for society that the rest of us fight. Got it. A golden, a golden child is a narcissist in the nation.
1: So from here, we move on to how those beliefs, especially about ourselves, get cemented as a truth in our brains in the reinforcement of it.
0: So the narcissistic parent messages to us that create the irrational beliefs, things like you don't deserve, I'm more important than you, stop upsetting me by having feelings. Those messages become our gospel because what we believe, we focus on. So if I believe I don't deserve, that reticular activator says, let me go out here and prove this for you because that's the job of the brain is to prove life as we believe it to be. So it goes out there and it picks out partners or friends who say, yeah, you don't deserve, so let me just take advantage of you. That's one example of that belief system that sabotages our lives. So we have to retrain the reticular activator so that you don't seek that out. You have to train the reticular activator with positive affirmations and with discovery of the painful stories that caused that belief in the first place. Let me just read a few of my cards to you, and you might have me might see how it works. Um, one of my affirmations says, I live life my way unapologetically, and with confidence. And another one says, I hold others accountable for how they treat me. I remove myself from sarcasm, anger, and abuse. And so these um, these help retrain the reticular activator into getting us what we want out of life. But you have to know what your negative belief is. People tell me in session all the time, Somebody else is upset, so it must be my fault. And we have to challenge that, and we have to retrain the brain with people are responsible for their own behavior. So getting those irrational beliefs uncovered and saying that I deserve better, and let me come up with a better belief, and I'll give you a way to do that at the end here, Just remember that the reticular activator subconsciously goes looking for ways to prove the mistaken belief. And the more it proves it to us, then the more we believe it and the worse our lives get. Um, It's entirely subconscious. We attract if you grew up with an alcoholic, you're very likely to attract an alcoholic. If you grew up with a narcissist, you're very likely to attract a narcissist because it's familiar and because the reticular activator says, oh, yeah, this is what, this is when you feel alive, is when you're trying to help somebody. And this is when you feel the most powerful, is when you have a damaged person that you can try to save. And that's a deep belief in the brain system that really has to be worked on. So if you don't, then the I'm worthless reticular activator belief just keeps bringing you people who say, Yeah, you are. Let me walk all over you. So, one instance of this that personally, um, when I started out in my 20s, Doing various things, cleaning houses, teaching piano. I didn't know. I, I didn't. I was never encouraged to go to college because my mother said college is dangerous. You could have a flat tire. You could break down. You could be attacked on the road while you had a flat tire breaking down. So that mistaken belief kept me out of school until I was thirty. When I was thirty, I had a serious Breakdown, down, depressed his epithet, and started therapy. And it changed my life and it saved my life. And I told the therapist, I think I can do this. And he said, I'm sure you can. So I signed up for classes against her. Her advice, she was very disapproving, which I found out later is because she was narcissistic and my doing something she had never done was very threatening to her. And the, one of the first nights I drove class, I had a flat tire. And I rode down on the highway, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, my mother was right. A nice young man going to the same college pulled up behind me, got out, changed my tire, was wonderful and friendly. I slipped the 20 in his book because I he wouldn't take any money. And by challenging my mistaken belief that my mother taught me, I began a career that has been the focus of my life, but it took the courage to challenge the belief. The reticular activator was on fire that day. It was saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, and I had to challenge that.
1: And for everyone listening, the abuser in in this case has a fear of losing control, so they're instilling fear in you. And the installation of fear in you keeps you within that control. And here is a moment where, uh, you know, I say to a lot of people, those beliefs that you've that are lies that are in your head that you've been told to believe, in the healing process of everything, the biggest thing is in my opinion, is to prove that wrong, and to prove it wrong is by doing it and then realizing, oh, I'm competent, or there was nothing to fear, and things along those lines. Is that kind of the same theory?
0: You're exactly right, and that is exactly what was going on there, was she was very threatened until I got my master's degree, and then she would tell the world about her daughter. But in private, she would tell me, well, if you had a doctor like Dr. Phil, that might be something. So, very classic narcissistic mother that I had. Um, I want to talk about another source, though, of reinforcement of the reticular activator, and that's the media. Both news and social media very much reinforce the reticular activator's mistaken belief. Um, Especially for women, the this irrational belief that your body isn't good enough as it is. You need to look like this model over here. And if you can't, well, the diet industry will take your money. And if that doesn't work well, that's your fault out there. Um, So that kind of message is more powerful than we realize. And what I often have to do with women who've grown up with narcissistic mothers or fathers who focus obsessively on appearance is to remind them that that's propaganda that the diet industry sends us and social media glorifies the impossible body for women. So I have them do the rational response, which is things like we're all born destined to be different shapes and sizes, and a woman's worth is not in her size. Um, But advertising knows the reticular activator. It will fit it. It activate it and get it out there and set it on fire. It knows how to play it. So between the parent source and the media source and the social media, it the reticular activators have a hard job set out before it. And the last way I want to talk about how those beliefs are reinforced is critical friends or partners. Um, people hide behind things like joking, teasing, sarcasm, like calling you a flake or so on. Those things get into the reticular activator, and the reticular activator starts seeking ways to make it true. So hearing verbal abuse gets into our soul, and it makes us change. So we really have to realize when we're being controlled and manipulated with Joking comment.
1: So up next. We have on this list. Number three is when those beliefs. Hold us back as adults. If they're not uncovered. And questioned today.
0: Well. I think it's starting to really. Become clear here. As we talk about this. That because the brain. Is trying to make the world. The way we think it is. It subconsciously chooses situations and people who reinforce what the narcissist has already told us. So um, I see that most commonly in the fact that the most common question I get from my clients is, what if I'm a narcissist too? And that happens because the narcissist's parent has said, you're the problem, my mother called me, the one I clash with. So. We start to question ourselves because the reticular activator has been told so many times, you're the problem. And so it seeks out ways to make you believe that and make you think you're the problem. So when I start saying to a client, hey, you know, you don't have to put up with that. You really don't have to be around somebody just because you share DNA. Then the reticular activator fights back. And it says, no, 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 you've been told your whole life you're the problem. So like, you're the problem. You can't get away. It's not their fault. And it's a very much a challenge to help a client see that they deserve this because they've been told you're the problem, you're selfish, you're too sensitive. So say that we say a narcissistic parent has no contact with limited contact or protected contact, they start saying, You're just so selfish. You won't get in the car with me. That's just selfish of you. So, no matter how justified we feel, we give in because we're trying not to be selfish as we were told we were being. This is called a reactive response and is equally unhealthy as just. Cutting off and saying, you know, this is never going to be something that that I can can do. I can never cut off from that person. I, I must cut off my therapy because I'll never be able to cut off from my person that is abusing me. So the irrational belief here is if I protect myself, I'm being selfish. That's a mother mistruth or a father fake that was told to you your whole life. If you protect yourself, you're being selfish. So people give it, and they go back for more and more and more. It's an attempt to gain the narcissist approval, which never works past the immediate moment. But clients will tell me that they're being the better person if they go back. And there again, that's just the root message of I'm being selfish if I don't go back. And what's curious about this is when I tell a client, well, okay, fast forward 20 years, and your daughter tells you that, I don't know, her grandmother has put bleach on her because she's not beautiful enough, or, or she's told her that she's selfish because she was sick and didn't want to come shopping. Would you tell your daughter, well, just put up with that, honey. That's just, you know, that's your family. You have to just overlook. And every time, my client would say, no, I would never expect my daughter to put up with that treatment. And that is my magic trick to get through that irrational belief. If you were, your mother treated someone you loved the way she treats you, would you tell them to just put up with it and keep going back for more? That really helps the reticular activator calm down when you apply it to someone you love.
1: And up next, we have what it means to do a react against those beliefs and why that's equally unhealthy because you want to keep the pendulum in the middle.
0: Right. Um, The basic. mental health rule in everything in our life, from the way we eat to the way we exercise to um, the way we parent, and that's what I'm going to talk about, is moderation. Um, So if someone has been abused, horribly abused, or emotionally or physically, then the pendulum swings way over. And when they grow up, they tell me, I will never uh, discipline my child because I was beaten as a child. So what they have done is a react to the parenting they were raised with and they have swung the pendulum way too far the other direction. Now, to not discipline a child is equally as abusive as being hateful to a child because children desperately need boundaries. So the reticular activator can push you too far the other way. So that's an example of going too far the other way. Another example of it is I've had clients who would try so hard to get their parents' approval, and they'd be too good and too timid, and it would work, so they would slide way too far the other direction and act out, and I'll show them, and then sabotage themselves so we can swing too far in our behavior one way or the other and that's the react
1: so uh, i guess we'll go from here to the uh your, your exercise for rational thoughts
0: okay this is what i was going to suggest to people and i do want to say that anyone is welcome to email me at info at rockwall-counseling dot com. If they want a copy of this, I'll be glad to shoot it on over to them. But um, cognitive therapy is just one of the many things that I use with clients, and this comes from that belief system. of The two-column exercise. The two-column exercise works like this: You take a piece of paper, you draw a line vertically down the middle. On the left, you write the Word words, irrational belief or thoughts, either way, same thing. And then on the right side of the line, you write the words, rational response. Now, to do the work seat, worksheet, you write your irrational thought on the left. Maybe that is, um, if I don't work as hard as I can, I won't prosper. Or I'm just no good at anything. You know, whatever it is that you find yourself thinking about yourself every day. And then next to that thought, you rate how strongly you believe that on a scale of 1 to 10. So if you're just certain that that is gospel, then you put a 10. If it's like sometimes i believe it or maybe sometimes I'll put an 8, it's just rated that you don't have to be precise. Then you go to the right side, and this is based on the idea that the truth will set you free, or I call this opposing counsel. You're going to get up on the stand in your defense, and you're going to refute this idea. So if the irrational thought is, if I don't work as hard as I can, I won't faster, then on the right side, you might write, well, money's not the most important thing, and I've never gotten hungry, and you start listing reasons why this thought is not true. And by doing that, we're challenging the reticular activator. We're challenging the subconscious formation. Now, if you happen to know why you think that way, like if that's something your parents always said, then that can help you with this insight. But basically, you just argue back. You defend yourself. If the irrational belief is, my parents said I'm lazy, I guess they're right, then on the right side you write, well, a lazy person wouldn't go to this trouble. Um, I did go to work yesterday. um, I cleaned my house last week, you just start taking the truth and challenging the irrational thought. And you continue like that until you feel finished. Now, sometimes my clients will write on the right side the rational, I mean, on the rational answer to the second belief. And that'll bring up another irrational belief. So they'll go to the left side again, and they'll write that down. Yeah, I cleaned my house, but I didn't clean... The back, back And then you go to the right side and you write, does it have to be perfect for you to be not lazy? And you just keep going until you reach a stopping point, either in your head or the bottom of the page or whatever you want to use. And then when you finished, you rate, again, how much you believe the original rational belief now. Nine times out of ten that belief number has dropped significantly. I've had clients tell me when we do this together in session, you know, I don't believe it at all. Why did I ever think that? And then keep that handy. Now, where it's in my workbook, it's not you, it's them, is I have people write about I have to see my narcissistic parent. And that's the irrational thought on the left side. And then on the right side, they start listing all the reasons why. Things like, if I had a friend who talked to me that way, would I go see them? And maybe just because I'm related to this person does not mean they're allowed to abuse me. And so the back and forth of the two-column exercise is a powerful way to get at your thoughts to challenge what
1: you thinking so thank you for this exercise and for those of you that want this written uh, page or document to be sent to you, please do email uh, debbie tutor at info at rockwall-counseling dot com that will be in the show notes. but now, after all of this, we had a lot of audience questions, and I was wondering if you were open to answering some of them.
0: Sure, I'll
1: do my best. All right. So the first one we have on our list is does Debbie have any notable observations or distinctions between adult children of narcissists where the abuse where the abused parent stayed and those where the abused parent left? I'm curious if you've noted different challenges or obstacles on how they impacted the adult child's life.
0: Um, there's different factors here, how old the children were when the marriage finally broke up. But the foundation that I want people to know is this. If you're the one who's thinking of leaving a narcissist, the best thing for your child is the sooner the better. Because every day that you stay, you are teaching them what marriage should be like when they grow up. You're teaching them you just have to put up with it. Or, no, I can't change this person, and I'm going to give you a peaceful home at least part of the time of your childhood. So when the adult child of a, narcissist sees the abused parents say, no, no one should live like this, then they grow up with a foundation of one healthy parent. It's it's not enough to just tell your child, okay, you know, mom's mean to you, but that's, you know, that's just how it is. So you just have to stay. It's not enough to acknowledge the abuse. You have to leave it because children hear what you say but they believe what you do. And if they encounter a narcissist as an adult, if you stayed, they're going to stay. And if you left, then they have an example of healthy. It may not have been right away healthy, but at one point you left. And so they can see that this is unacceptable. And my parent believed that enough to speak to it and do the difficult task of leaving. If you stay, then those are my clients who don't get it, they don't understand why it's okay for me to leave the abuser because mom never left, dad never left. So it's a definite question of getting out as soon as you can. If you want to help your child, find peace and to have a good role model.
1: And the next question we have is, how do I let go of the guilt and fear of talking about the harm they caused?
0: With children, you do not share the details of a divorce. You can say simply, um, this behavior that they did was not okay, but you don't go into details Children, even adult children, deserve to be protected from the pain of adulthood. They don't need to be brought in on the masculine. They don't need to be treated like a therapist or a friend. Now, as far as talking to a therapist about talking about the harm, with, it is very hard to talk about your parent in a negative way. Very hard. And the reticular activator goes on fire. No, no, no. Remember, you could die if you don't please your parents. Don't talk about them that way. And it's very hard. It's very, very hard. And you must be very patient and gentle with yourself about talking about it because it is hard.
1: All right. Well, thank you for that. And before we leave today, can you tell everyone about your book, uh, your cards, uh, all of your offerings, and where to find you?
0: Okay. Well, the book and the cards are on Amazon, and that's the best place to get them. You can get them on my website, but that means you have to. They're a download, so you have to print them out yourself. Especially the cards. I really think you should order from Amazon. They come in a little gift bag and um, one of my clients said she hangs the gift bag from her bathroom mirror and every day she gets a card out from it. Um, They're beautifully designed, so I recommend that. But you can get them on my website, which is rockwall-counseling.com. The book, It's Not You, It's Them, uh, is also on Amazon and on my website. Again, I recommend Amazon because it's a spiral bound with pages to write in. Whereas if you get it on the website, you have to print it. But the book is "It's Not You, It's Them: Thirty Days of Hope and Help for the Adult Child of a Narcissistic Parent." And if you search "It's Not You, It's Them," Debbie Tudor, it'll come up on Amazon. Um, the book is designed to It's different from your typical book because it's a workbook. It's designed to give you positive affirmations and for you to write about how you feel about those. And then it also gives a little information on the ways that we are abused as scapegoats. And then it gives you a journaling to heal exercise. So um, there's things in here about... um, With a narcissist, it's not, what have you done for me? Instead, it's, what have you done for me today? And so I write about that, and then I have you do an exercise on the affirmation that I am a good and loving person. I need no one else to confirm that. And then I have you write about going back through the years and list all the ways you have been a good daughter or son to your narcissistic parent. And by doing that, we tell the reticular activator, I am a good person.
1: Well, Debbie Tudor, I really want to thank you once again for being a guest on our show. You're wonderful as always, and you you keep coming back because people always ask for you to come back, and that's because you're a wonderful counselor. You have a wealth of information, not just from your uh, education, from school, but you've lived it. And you have a wealth of experience like no one else. So thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
1: And for those of you that want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, there's all of these instructions. Please do follow those instructions and send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at NarcissistApocalypse.gmail.com or just feed everything into our guest form and press Submit and also at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. So if you need support, please click that support button at the top of the page at NarcissistApocalypse.com, and it will take you to our network. And inside there, we have our very own forum boards. We have uh, Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and and saturday night and every other thursday afternoon we also on their ad free episodes we have episodes that never made it to air and if you just need or just want to support our show please just support our support group and that will help us out a lot so please come to our support group at narcissistapocalypse.com top of the page press that support group button and we will see you there and for those of you that need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. They are a friend of ours, and there they have extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And once again, thank you for listening. A big thank you to Debbie Tudor, and from Debbie Tudor and myself, we hope you have a good night.